0: Namor tessa, back a wide toe, I'd a head toe, some my some botassin, more tessa, so this is the full moon night of December 2009 and the uh, winter solstice will be uh, another week or so on the 21st, 22nd. December. So there's a reflection on change, the changing of the seasons, the shortest day of the year is the summer solstice, longest night and then after that it starts longer days and shorter nights. Full moons and new moons and on and on like this. This is the Contemplate the way it is, in terms of the system we're living in, the, the seasonal changes, and so forth. So I've always <coughs> appreciated in the, this particular tradition, Theravada tradition, the the lunar days, because because you have to pay more attention to. <laughs> To notice whether it's a full moon or a new moon or a half moon or whatever. (coughs) So we do get caught up in just, you know, solar calendars with (coughs) everything is Saturday, Sunday, and work days and so forth, Sabbath days on Saturdays or Sundays, and we get institutionalized easily into just going along. With what is uh, taken for granted, but uh, notice that the, this way we kind of just observing change, because this is the this is the way this realm is. It's all about change, inexorable, relentless changingness of the conditions. So we. This evening also we have the three uh, Anagoricas, Francis, uh, and uh, Norman, and Tejus. Welcome back, Norman, (laughs) who was a monk for many years. Very seldom do disrobe, monks who disrobe, do they come back, so this is quite... uh praiseworthy thing to do. <laughs> People disrobe because of they they um, lose faith or they attracted to worldly things or you know any like anything anything you're involved in you have uh, you have inspiration and then kind of desperation. Monastic life, the same thing. You, whether you get married or mon- monastic or have a job or whatever, there's an initial interest and fascination and then it reaches a peak and then it starts going the other way. <coughs> get critical, disillusioned, uh, bored, with uh, the institution or the convention or the people you're living with. <clears throat> so this is about change also. We can't sustain inspiration as a kind of continuous experience in the holy life. Uh, you read any about people that have developed the holy life in different religions, it's the same. You You, know, you can't sustain Uh, kind of an inspired state of mind. It's what brings you maybe into this life through inspiration and faith and that but uh, to depend on that. As we all know inspiration uh, is also impermanent. So some people always want the inspiration or the honeymoon, the romantic part of the marriage or the the, the, the good side of life and uh, very seldom when they gets to the other side uh, then they want to go into something else want, want to have a new relationship or d- do something that inspires them because uh, inspiration is a nice feeling to feel inspired and uplifted and dedicated and that to the spiritual life But also this is uh, because of this, this reflection on change, on anicca impermanence, then we, we start observing this being the Puto, the one that's aware of this, of the way things are, the changingness of the seasons, the full moon, that which is aware of the full moon, even though tonight you probably can't see it. But that which is aware uh, they, just for example if you could see the full moon you went out and looked at it you wouldn't uh, Would you know if you were desperate you say I, d- I want a full moon every night would be the most ridiculous thing to demand of life <laughs> because that's not the way it is. <clears throat> uh, so it's and that which is aware of the full moon, is that me, is that uh, some kind of personal ability I have, uh, an identity that I hold to, or is it just the way things are from this position of being a human individual that ha- that has, uh, whose vision is adequate enough to, to see, to perceive the full moon? And so this this is like reflecting on the way it is, it's empty isn't it, it's not not, I can't claim that I have a special uh, unique ability to see the full moon uh, and that it's mine or the moon belongs to me that would be kind of madness. You'd think I was mentally deranged if I started claiming that the moon belongs to me. but we do that with uh with the other conditions the body for example your own body you actually it's a kind of madness that we're addicted to that the society indulges us in is that we that i am this body and this body is mine and so then we then we when we identify with the body, then with, with its appearance, with its gender, with its uh, color, with its age, with its shape, and on and on like this. And then we have various views about being attractive, unattractive, uh, which is better black or white, or male or female, and then gets into an endless uh, uh, clash of views and opinions and hurt feelings and wars and quarrels take place because of this madness, the kind of, it's a craziness that is uh, part of our culture, everyone and whatever culture the tendency is to identify with the body. So using the metaphor of the moon, since we don't claim the moon, uh, also we begin to be aware of the body as the body rather than as mine or me it's no different than the moon actually it's just it's closer is a problem and we have to uh, live with it for a, a lifespan which can include all kinds of pleasurable and painful uh, sensations. But the point of Buddhist meditation of reflecting on the way it is is to be the knower <coughs> of the condition rather than the condition itself. As long as we believe we're the condition then we're we're mad, we're crazy. That's a kind of and that's called uh, and most of the world is that way. The society we live in is actually crazy one. Uh, so it's because everybody believes they are their bodies and their personalities and all the other things, their memories, their emotions. Notice that the 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 in Buddhism they talk a lot about emptiness and and anatta, non-self. This w- this word anatta is not non-self, and so this sense of a self, the, you know, of me and mine is, uh, is, is taken for granted. I am this body. I am this person. I am, uh, my position, my, um, my appearance, age and all that is definitely me and mine. So this is, uh, seen from from this reflective point rather than operate we're not in in this life to operate from a personal perspective. So it's not to to reinforce this identity with the conditioned realm but to be able to see it for what it is. Now when we begin to appreciate that's what the Buddha Dhamma Sangha refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha means. It's not a, not some kind of mystical, metaphysical formula, a magical formula. It's a reflection. So the taking refuge uh, in Buddha, Bhutan this sernangachami. Is, this is a reminder of being this Bhutto, of being awake and aware in the present. So this, the Buddha is awakened consciousness within an individual. It's not anybody, can't claim to be a Buddha. You know, some kind of personal achievement or quality. But we take, in the in this tradition we use this, this Pali language. You say, I take refuge in the Buddha, Bhutang Sarnangachami. In the Thai forest tradition we use the mantra Puto as a as a continuous reminder, Bhutto is is being uh, awakened, attentive here and now to the way it is, to the changingness of whatever one is feeling or experiencing through the senses, through the body, pleasant or unpleasant, right or wrong, good or bad. <clears throat> so. In the, if you pursue this now, the aim in this life, the monastic conventions are, to, is a vehicle to help you through a lifespan. It's a expedient means. It's not an end in itself, and it, it's merely a functionary means to reflect from, not to grasp or identify with. So when we we have uh, these conventions, we keep reminding ourselves, our refuge is in Buddha, Bhutto, rather than in being a monk or a nun or an Anagarika, Anagarika Samanera, senior, junior, and all the rest. These are not refuges. They're expedient, Conventions that are empty they're empty conditions, so to to begin to really uh, have an insight into emptiness of condition phenomena now the most difficult condition phenomena to see emptiness in is our emotions, because uh, emotions are the very conditions that that keep telling us uh, this is me, my feelings, my opinion, my body, my rights, what I like and don't like is these are these, are, these can be very strong emotional uh, reactions we have to to the life we're living. anger and greed, sexual desire, uh, jealousy, fear. Uh, these are kind of primal emotions. They're part of the, the human condition. You know, the, or the mammalian condition. You notice the mammalian species is, gets angry, it is lust, sexual desire, and, and uh, even gets jealous, f- fear. The animal realm is a fear realm. And if you just look at nature, the animal world around us, the squirrels and, and the foxes and all the rest, deer it's a survival and through fear. So fear this is a fear realm, you know, uh, uh, because it is a sense realm. We're experiencing uh, the sensitivity. Of pleasure-pain, survival, trying to just survive, you know, to get enough to eat and shelter and so forth, procreate the species. This is part of the survival mechanisms, instinct, that are part of the universal system, and yet in the human realm we tend to align ourselves with these a lot, take it all very personally. We we and especially modern societies are very much identified with my sexual desires, my fears, my anger, my greed, my jealousy, and and then they're then they're judged. We judge ourselves, you know, like an ideal person is uh, is kind and generous. And they're not jealous. They're brave, they're not afraid, they don't get angry, they're very patient, forgiving, and compassionate. That's an ideal that, we, that is very inspiring. It can be very inspiring. There's saints and we want, oftentimes we project that onto people in our societies, wanting them to be these saintly beings. But in reflecting on the way it is we're not we're not trying to project onto life how we'd want it but we're noticing that it's like this. So the closest thing you can observe is your own feelings because you have to you know even what you're feeling you're wherever you are you're going to be feeling something or other whether you're here in the temple or in your room alone or in a group or whatever. Because this is a feeling realm, a sense realm. Sensitivity is like this. So this variability that we have to observe sensitivity, this is what the Buddha uh, teaching is about, is being this awareness itself of sensitivity rather than becoming a sensitive person or trying to make yourself insensitive. Mean sensitive can be very painful because we, we you know, it is a continuous, the kind of irritation, challenge in this realm. Of, uh, and there's so much fear in, in that's natural to this, uh, to this realm we're living in. And anger is a primal emotion. Sexual desire uh, is primal to the species. You know, it's not personal. It's not some kind of something's wrong, or uh, uh, it's not being idealistic about sexuality. It's just noticing that these human bodies are like this. They're sexual forms. They have these energies. We get we we experience anger, fear, jealousy. We get bored. We get inspired. We 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 um, We have doubts. We feel insecure. We want safety, certitude, guarantees, stability, and all the rest. And of course, this is a time right now, and you listen to the news on the radio. Everything seems to be falling apart. And despe- every every day you hear some 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 famous corporation or company going bankrupt, <laughs> <and> <laughs> desperately trying to bail him out or, uh, you know, with fantastic amounts of money. And that because uh, for the past few decades, we've been able to perfect our greediness to a level I don't think human humanity's ever been able to achieve or be as greedy as, as uh, human beings have been in the past uh, Fifty years, and it's greed that makes the economy work, doesn't it? Just making making you go greedy, to want to spend all your money on buying things that that uh, are not totally unnecessary, most of them. But this is uh, stimulating greed as a as a way of promoting uh, this sense of every you know getting what we want we like we have that feeling of when we get what we want we want something and we get it we like that feeling of getting our way getting what we want <clears throat> and then we feel angry or frightened or insecure when we can't get what we want and we, and we think something's wrong with With oneself or with uh that which is preventing you from getting what you want, you put your what you think is the is the villain that's preventing you from getting what you you really want and feel you have to have so this is this is a reflection, it's not a criticism, but just noticing this desire desire dhanha is is this realm is a desire realm wanting and not wanting and so in Buddhist meditation and vipassana insight practices in uh, Theravada Buddhism about being putting yourself in the position of bhuto tamo sanko, bhutang sarnangachami namang sarnangachami sankhang sarnangachami so, like the Vigarrikas tonight that uh, made a formal uh request for taking these three refuges now, this can be just a ceremony um, that you go through to you know but you may not understand the significance of it, so pointing to the significance of this taking the three refuges is not just. <clears throat> Theravada Buddhist uh, ceremonial practices, it, it's something to reflect on. Over the years that I've been a, m- a monk I've reflected on this this formula, Bhutang chami. you know, till eva- when I first when I first ordained, I just memorized it. It didn't, its significance still was very just intellectual, I kind of got the idea of taking refuge in the Buddha, but it it was merely a kind of definition from the brain. It hadn't reached the heart yet. But I could say it in order to get through the ceremony. Then over the years, 42 years, 43 years, this really, you know, is a profound thing to to think, if you're going to think something profound, think Bhutang Sarnangachami. I take refuge in the Buddha. And then, n- and not just the the thought itself to attach to, but what does that really mean in terms of here and now, this very moment, when I think, when I'm thinking Bhutang Sarnangachami, So it's a reminder that I'm using that those words to remind myself, not to take refuge in my feelings or uh, views and opinions, habits, worldly conditions. So then it is like buto, getting making it a shorter reflection. Buto is easier to to think than butang sernangat shami, which takes a longer time. <laughs> now you've got Bhuta is a very simple mantra and to me then that is reminder you know the one uh, gets carried away with all the problems of the world the fears and the uh, anxieties the uncertainties the insecurities uh, and the changing conditions well, there's so many frightening predictions for the future climate change and pollution and overpopulation and nuclear war and all these things are very threatening uh to on a global level it's not just personal anymore it's it's global so uh, in that in that way we begin to see you know we there's no where can we hide where can we run away to if it's just a kind of personal thing we, we we just run away to find some other place if it's just a national thing we we go to Canada or some other place to get away from it but if it's um, global where, where's the escape where's the escape from fear and anger, and the unexpected catastrophe, possible catastrophes in a solar system that is very mysterious and vast and frightening and threatening to us. You hear about meteorites or various things being crashing into the earth. They have, they make exciting films around this possibility of the end of the world, the end of the earth as some huge meteorite or invasion from Mars takes place. And we're exposed to to maniacal weird forms, green men with eyes that stick out of their heads like insects and antennae and they have no conscience and no shame. Now we can create a fantasy world about creating the most frightening images And people pay good money to go see these films, which makes you wonder why why we like to be scared, because that's also exciting, isn't it? It's exciting to contemplate the end of the world, to hear all the bad news and the threats and dangers that exist in terms of the enemy, the terrorists that are lurking in every train station in Britain the possible you know suicide bombers that could destroy everything that we are attached to and love and depend on for sense of well-being so there's this great when we think about this this is just common news these days uh, epidemics uh, could take place. Terrible kind of possibilities for pain and misery haunt us day by day. So in this way we we do want security, safety, certainty. And the, the Buddha could see that this was we're We're wanting something that's not possible it's, This is not certain this realm that we're living in It's all about uncertainty, insecurity. It's about change, about loss, about getting old, losing the loved, losing your health, dying, and then all the rest, not as some kind of morbid obsession with gloom and doom meant to awaken the human individual to the way it is, to the deathless reality that is the refuge in Dhamma. Now when you talk about the deathless reality, we can't define it. You can't, what is it? When you try to think about it or wonder about it you get caught in doubt. Is there such a, is, wh- what, people have asked me, what is the deathless, the unconditioned, unborn, uncreated, unformed, what is nibbana? And if there's no self, if everything is anatta, you know, then who am I? If I'm not nothing, I'm going to start thinking again, if I'm nothing, I don't have any soul or self. And then I feel you know I can feel emotionally very upset by that, because even if I have some inferior identity, at least it's something to hold on to i mean i think i'm the I'm the worst person alive is some kind of identity where you know if i if there's if I don't have any identity, if there's nothing to cling to, nothing to identify with, who am I? So in this uh, refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, it's about not trying to f- find a, a refuge that you cling to, not trying to find something called Buddha Dhamma Sangha, some, something you've got to, to get hold of. It's, it's, it's about awakening, recognizing, realizing the way it is. So Dhamma is the way it is. And, and that isn't about saying the way it is, is right or wrong, good or bad, what it should or shouldn't be. It's like this. And as you, and so this is what mindfulness is. When we say, use the word sati-sampachanya, satipanya. Mindfulness and wisdom awaken, this is our, this is the the great ability of this human birth being a human being rather than being a, an animal where we merely have to put up with our karma. You know, whether we're a cat or a dog or a bird or a rat or whatever, we we have to live according to that karma. And we also have to live according to our karma as a as an, on the animal level. But also this sense of Bhutang Sarinangachami, Taking Refuge in the Buddha, is the potential that we have as human individuals to awaken to Dhamma, to the way it is, which is not personal. It's not about me and my Dhamma, and and that's nothing to do with it. When I start thinking about my karma and me, then I'm back into that realm of the personal, the way I define myself and see myself as a person, Uh, as a good person, bad person, and so forth. And that can change. We see ourselves in various ways according to other conditions. (coughs) So when we think good thoughts and, and people tell us how wonderful we are, then we feel good. When we think mean and nasty thoughts and people tell us how mean and nasty we are then we feel like that. And so it, you know, the personality will change according to how we're feeling, the weather, the time of day, whether we're healthy or sickly and on like this, our personality is a very dependent, changeable condition. But that which is aware of the personality. Now I I can, you know, whatever I feel as a person, my own personal habits, liking this, not liking that, wanting this, not wanting that. But there's an awareness of that wanting and not wanting. So then that is the puto tamo relationship the awakened consciousness, observing the way it is, what I like and don't like, it changes. I can't make life into what I want as a kind of permanent uh, fixed condition. Sometimes I get what I want and sometimes I don't. And sometimes I feel inspired and happy and And loved and successful, and sometimes I can feel the opposite, feel miserable, despairing, hopeless. But that which is aware of the feeling, because we all know what, you know, you can always be aware of what you're feeling, it's like this. So the emotions, the emotional habits that one has, whatever they might be, is not the issue. It's not about having only good emotions, positive emotions, but being aware of emotions that are changeable according to conditions. Like when we're praised, admired, respected, liked, we have high status, we have good health, we're good-looking, we're successful and prosperous, then we feel happy when that all comes together. But then, like anything, to try to sustain that illusion is impossible. Uh, And so, you know, as you get older, your looks fade, Uh, health gets weaker, people, you make enemies, people get jealous uh, of you, Uh, they see your faults and weaknesses, they can uh, pick you apart, criticize you, uh, humiliate you, and then you feel despairing, angry, upset, lost. So recognize how, what a helpless, on a personal level, how helpless we are. You know, we're kind of victims of circumstances, as personalities. If we don't get what we want, if we don't have all the best, then we have to, you know, we we identify even with the fact that I'm the ugliest person in the whole world, nobody loves me. At least that's an identity. But in the, in this uh, awareness, puto tamo Sanko. whatever, whether you're the most beautiful or the most ugly and everybody loves me or everybody hates me, that awareness is the refuge. And that feeling of success and failure, love and hate or whatever, is, it is what it is in the present moment. But try to sustain it. Try to, try to feel that way all the time. And you'll begin to see that it's very changeable. So this is what we mean by mindfulness and then investigation looking into not not criticizing not trying to define things and saying this is best this is the best and that's the worst. It's not about the quality are the the quantity of conditioned phenomena, but discerning conditioned phenomena is just that, whether it's uh, a a fleeting thought, uh, a sensation through the eye, the ear, nose, tongue, body, uh, uh, emotional feeling of happiness or misery or just boredom or doubt, uncertainty, confusion, whatever uh, emotion is present. That which is aware of that emotion by continuously investigating this and discerning then then you will begin to let go of these ident- of these habitual identities, this attachment and clinging to the uh, condition itself now this is uh, this is the result of this kind of practice. From my own experience having had uh, 42 years to put this into practice. (laughs) You know it has a very powerful effect if you but you have to keep doing it yeah and that's not just the kind of sitting on a zafu an hour a day but it's a continuous willingness to to investigate to observe to be the knower to be the puto Dhamma rather than this person with these problems. So the the personality the sense of a self is always about a person with problems, likes and dislikes, desires for happiness and security, fear of loss of insecurity. That's personal and so that is um, when we live on that level then we do, we suffer because how much control do we have over the economy, the political system, even the bodies that we identify with, how how can you make them into what you want them to be, you know, and, and preserve their youth and their vigor and their health. You know, people spend enormous amounts of money trying to sustain the illusion of youth and and good health. But at the end of the day you lose it. No matter how much money you spend on cosmetic surgery and vitamins and health foods, you're gonna die. Body. <laughs> <coughs> you know, you can squint your eyes when you look into a mirror. Like now I have my vision isn't so good anymore. So when I take off my glasses and look in the mirror, I look better <laughs> <laughs> than when I look into the mirror with my glasses on. <laughs> so there's a, uh, you know, and having fading vision at 75 is a kind of advantage in a way. You don't look so bad. But this is an illusion. <laughs> And it would be a source of suffering rather than humor if, you know, if, I, if, if that was what I depended on. Keeping, you know, squinting my eyes and t- without my glasses. If that's how I have to live the rest of my life, it's rather kind of a foolish old man, isn't it? Silly old fart. But because of spending these years in this kind of meditation investigating Dhamma, then you do, you be, the, 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 the deathless reality, this is real, it's not just some kind of, you know, idea I have in my head or some kind of belief in some kind of abstract realm called the deathless. It's actually, a, a rea- it's reality itself. This sense of the real uh, it, this reality. It has this stability, this unshakability that comes through awareness, not through controlling anything. Not you don't you can't ever feel secure and safe for very long when you're into controlling the condition realm. Just trying to keep it under, you know, your power to, to keep the illusion that everything's okay, everything's all right. Because some people, the control freaks, we all have a certain amount of that in, in our personalities, the wanting to control things because losing control on a personal level is probably one of the most frightening things you can imagine. I'm afraid I might lose control, uh, and that panic, that sense of if I lose control I'll make a fool of myself, I'll go crazy, so uh, trying to keep control is, is like this desperate rigidity that we can uh, project onto life out of fear and ignorance. So this uh, awakening to Dhamma, Bhutto Tamo Sanko. Now that's the, this is what I, you know, what I'm always pointing to. Even though I gave you the precepts this evening, it's not to be seen uh, in a personal way. It's the Sangha. Uh, you know, it's the Sangha giving you the precepts. So now in some kind of formal, conventional way, you're, you've committed yourself to the refuge in Sangha, taking the eight precepts and three refuges as an Anagarika, Anagarika. So I mean, this is, this is uh, not to be seen as some kind of personal achievement, Well, if you do, I mean, it's a thing to praise a person about. It's a, it's a certainly a noble thing to be doing. <clears throat> but it can't stop there because it'll get boring after a while and and onerous. And even though inspired now, it can become uh, desperate in, in a not, not very long time uh, if it's just taken on a personal level. So uh, to to remind you, of um, the the whole point of this ceremony, eight precept ceremony, is is to make this determination for reality, realization, liberation from delusion, so that your relationship to the conditioned realm is no longer as out of ignorance and attachment to it, and that's the problem. The, that is the basic problem, is ignorance, of nama and attachment to conditions. So the control freak is attached, you know, you're desperately attached to condition phenomena in order to feel important or safe or secure or, the, you know, give this illusion, everything is okay, everything is all right. So when that illusion breaks down you know like i found as a Buddhist monk being in this form it gives you this sense of of relief of not being a person anymore. Not using my personality as my refuge and the way I relate and define myself and experience life. Not through the personal tendencies or emotional habits. So you, as you investigate Dhamma, begin to look into it, it's reflecting on the way it is. And so it's very simple. All conditions are impermanent. Anicca Dukhanata. There's the kind of, you hear over and over again, Anicca Dukhanata, impermanence, unsatisfactoriness and non-self. So these are the characteristics of all conditioned phenomena, the physical body, emotional habits, thoughts, memories, psychic experiences, previous life memories, fears and desires, whatever they might be, good and bad, right and wrong. Everything is seen in terms of all conditions are impermanent. Sape sankara nicha. All conditions. Sape sankara. All conditions are anita, impermanent. Now that's not a belief. I'm not asking you to believe that and just grasp that is Buddhist doctrine. That's to be, you know, you, you really need to see it, to awaken, to change to trust yourself to just be aware of whatever you're feeling right now is like this and you're you're not trying to justify it or criticize it or get rid of it but to be the observer of it. The puto seeing the damo, the, the dhamma or the way it is. So this is uh, this is the point of this life. This is the whole meaning of this convention is is not for identity not for attachment but for liberation. <clears throat> it's an expedient means monastic life is expedient means it's not an end in itself it's not to become a bhikkhu or a Thiladhara or an Ajahn Or something like this to be a meditation teacher or uh, you know attain some kind of worldly status if you know we can use the form in a worldly way. Even though the word bhikkhu means one who's dependent on the goodwill of others it could be a kind of like a priestly title. I'm a bhikkhu and that means I'm you know, I'm a holy man. I'm a. I am a meditation master. People call me a meditation master. I've never called myself that, <laughs> or a, a meditation teacher, or an ajahn. I'm an ajahn. I'm an acharya. I'm forty-two vasas. <laughs> I don't know, like this, this is, this is, uh, these, this could be merely stating, you know, conventional f- terms or it can be a position I take on life. If I've used those perceptions as to attachment and ignorance then I've wasted 42 years of my life. It's been a waste of time. If, if that's all I've learned is just to, to uh, congratulate myself on my senior position. But it isn't that, because the word bhikkhu means one who's dependent. I mean, you're putting yourself at the bottom of the heap by by being a bhikkhu. You're at the bottom, you're dependent on the goodwill of other people for the basic necessities for food, for shelter, for clothing, for medicine. It's not about privilege and rights. When you when you become uh, a seminar then you're putting yourself right at the bottom of the heap of the society and yet we can hold ourselves as if we're somehow superior to the rest. <coughs> We're whole. We're we're monastics. We're we we're celibate. We're very pure, and somehow we're, that means on an ego level, we're somehow a little better than the lay people. It can be a very arrogant attachment if we if we misuse this convention. <coughs> So it's a very different thing than becoming a priest. Like a priest is is usually a a functionary in a society, like performs royal ceremonies or has a special status uh, that is a priestly status, like a, a Brahmanical priest, or even in the Christian religion, it's a kind of, has gives you status. Just like being a, Buddhist, monk, or nun can give us status in the society. So it's easy to turn our life into a position of status. Meaning that we're seeing ourselves as somehow above the, the vulgar herd. Slightly better than the people who, who don't keep eight precepts. Now that is, that's sakeaditi, that's a personality view, isn't it? That's a misuse. That's a, a lack of wisdom in regard to in brought into the monastic form. So that's where it's very encouraging you to reflect on uh, on the, the point of this. Bhikkhu isn't, isn't a kind of, I'm a privileged, you know, I'm somehow better than a, Thiladara, because I'm a bhikkhu and I'm a senior bhikkhu so I'm better than a junior bhikkhu and uh, I'm better than, than other bhikkhus because uh, some bhikkhus uh, I know carry money in their bags and I don't so I'm purer than those bhikkhus who don't keep the Vinaya so I could become arrogant and supercilious by being strict and uh highly moral and pompous and become very arrogant, kind of uh, bore through being a Buddhist monk, but the point of the life is not to be that way is to investigate this condition realm, so it's not no longer having to to uh, just be rebellious against it or critical of it, but to understand it. That there's no self, there's no bhikkhu, a kind of personal bhikkhu. That's an empty form. It's merely a, an expedient word to remind oneself that you're you're dependent on the goodwill of others. And it doesn't mean to be obsequious and, and kind of have to really be nice and sweet so people will cough up the food and the shelter. <laughs> no, it's not about being a, a, an obsequious sycophant and to trying to please everybody and make everybody happy so that they'll feed me. Will you still need me? Will you still feed me? when I'm seventy four. <laughs> so this is uh it's it's about practice uh, that, that this 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 whole tradition has been able to survive two thousand five hundred and fifty one years fifty two years for some reason or other because if there are those Samanas who practice for liberation and that is then then that is praiseworthy. That is something to respect. Those practicing for liberation, not those who who just hold on to positions and identities with religious forms. So this is uh, an encouragement to to, uh, you know, to examine this life. How, how do you want to use this form? It's up to you, I can't, you know, I can't force you or compel you, but encourage you is about the best I can do. And it's a very good form. You know, it's a very powerful form if used properly and used continuously till you have this breakthrough because i found you actually have a breakthrough where this this unshakability this sense of of this st- inner stillness is so strong that they uh that it's no longer just having to chant mantras puto 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 and all that because you you find you're in a natural state of awareness it has its own Sustainability is not me, Ajahn Sameto, trying to meditate anymore. It's the natural state uh, that one recognizes through mindfulness, sati sampachanya, discerning. So, this discernment comes through recognizing the nature of conditioned phenomena, whatever it is significant, insignificant, important, stupid, silly, wise, great, magnificent, true or false, right or wrong, good or bad. It is not about, those are qualities or condition of condition phenomena. But all condition phenomena is impermanent. So this is this reminding reminder to be the knower of impermanence, allows you to break through the illusions that we have, that we're conditioned by, from culture, from, from identity with uh, the body, with the, with the personal, with the memories we have, the emotions that, that we have. But it do, does take determination. So over the years, you know, remember spending years just chanting mantra, puto, puto, and things like this. The morning and evening pujas. These are ways of, of, of skillful means of reminding oneself to to develop that sense. You know, especially like morning puja, wake up and have to when you don't want to remember here at amravati in the early years when it, we, we before we had uh convenient places to live and heating to get up out of your bed into a cold room and go to morning puja was a great act of will because, you know, if you, somebody gave me a nice duvet, I remember, and uh, and it was so nice, you know, on a cold morning to just curl up in the duvet. Uh, that's a nice feeling to be warm when you know, when you get out of that, under from underneath that duvet, it's cold. And cold is not what I don't like. I'm born under the sign of the uh, sun. So I like warmth. Some of the monks I remember were jumping in the swimming pool, breaking the ice, and I could never do that. I never had enough willpower to make myself break the ice in that pool uh and and jump into an ice cold pool. However, the monks that did that have all disrobed. <laughs> But <laughs> so it doesn't prove very much except you you maybe have credible willpower to to do outrageous things. But the this kind of determination uh a kind of continuous determination, aditana to make determination, to to develop this this sense of morning puja, like over the years. Uh, you know, just Uh, chanting the uh, the qualities of Buddha Dhamma Sangha, reminding oneself, has a good effect over a long period of time. Evening Puja. These are uh, you know here for to be useful for developing awareness, mindfulness, reminders, because we can you know be quite indulgent in monastic life. And uh, we have all kinds of other distractions, possibilities for distracting ourselves. So it does take this determination that is um you know inexorable it is no matter what you know you just keep doing it till eventually and this investigating this that which is aware of this emotion the emotion feeling happy or sad or inspired or depressed it is what it is that which is aware of that feeling is that the feeling so it's like inquiring continuous Inquiry, uh, uh, this feeling of feeling depressed, is that, what is aware of that feeling? Is that awareness itself depressed? And, And even though these might sound like rhetorical questions, they do have a point because you begin to see that the feeling of feeling depressed or excited or happy or sad, and it is what it is so you're not trying to you're not judging it and criticizing it or claiming it you're aware of it and that which is aware you'll find your stability your certitude in the awareness not in the in trying to control the, the mind according to where you have only happy emotions or positive feelings. So also r- remind yourself that personalities never become enlightened, so we manifest through our personalities. we all you know so different monks and nuns have different personalities that that doesn't seem to change all that much. But the identity with the personality that let we let go of my personality is merely what it is it's a habit you know so it's the conditions karmic conditions that I that I've developed in this life. It's no, it's not a way of trying to justify my personal uh, disadvantages or problems but it is a way of reflecting that that this uh, the personality is not where it's at. You know, you, you li- I remember making judgments about Ajahn's in Thailand. When you're a new monk, you you kind of, especially from the United States, you can be very critical. And you think, now that's a good monk. He's he's really full of compassion, and he's I really like him. He must be an arahant, and then you. Go to another one. I I don't like him at all. He's an old grump. He couldn't be an arhat. Wouldn't be a grump. Arhat would be like a saint that have a halo and radiate light and love me. And so this is uh, this is a conceit of uh, of an ignorant person uh, who's who's making judgments on the surface of how somebody manifests on, through their personality. With yourself also, begin to see your personality as empty rather than as judging it as, as good, bad, right or wrong. Or me and mine, I am this kind of person. And that we are very strongly attached to some of our identities what kind of person i am my feelings and my my needs are so important to me we can actually believe this and 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 operate from this kind of position of of conceit but as we see through that then that we no longer want to do that even it's it's not a pleasant thing to be a person it's not a something that that I want to cultivate is a personality, but to uh, cultivate this emptiness, this non-person, Anatta, is not something. I c- is not something at all. It's mere when I talk about cultivating it, is through letting go of conditioned phenomena, through seeing the suffering I create about attaching to the condition the body, the personality, memories, emotions. So this is more reflection, encouragement. Amravati is the whole point of this monastery is to keep pointing in that direction. And where's it pointing to not not up to the full moon because that will change very soon but here it's like here looking looking at at your heart or your what they call entire jitta being aware awake of consciously awake of the feelings sensations that you're experiencing without Judging them. It's non-critical, but it's discerning. Discerning the condition as the condition and the unconditioned is the reality, is here and now. And as we trust in that more and more, then it, it you know, we, that is our refuge. That's the whole point of this. That's what Sangha means. Tupatipanda, one who practices in this way to be free from delusion. So I offer this for your reflection.